Goodness of good days, cats and kittens, and a squishy and soggy welcome from the flood-beleaguered rural West Midlands to this week's Discontent Provider, the podcast that is still absolutely supportive of same-sex marriage, but uh, as the water levels rise, can't help but wondering if those fundamentalist Christian politicians might not be onto something. They're not, of course. At best, those bigoted fuck stumps are governed by delusion and superstition, and at worst, they're cynically and maliciously exploiting those who are governed by delusion and superstition in the hope of one day governing the rest of us. Having said that, Arkham really does hate the rain, and, and, and you know, marriage is a pretty outmoded social contract when one comes to think of it, so... Uh, I don't know, perhaps some of you out there might like to think about all the fabulous gay things you could spend your money on rather than just a big party that will chiefly serve only to upset your Uncle Tony. Ah, sheer babbling nonsense, obviously. But if our political classes have taught us anything this week, it's that nothing anybody says has to mean anything, indicate any real belief or principle, or be in any measure true and that the important thing is to flap one's gums and hope that whatever noise comes out won't make everybody frightfully cross. It's a vain hope for the most part. In these choleric times, it's safe to assume that even the mildest of people become incandescent with mindless fury at least twice a day, be it about inhuman atrocities in a never-ending war or a meme about pronouns. Dash it all, podcast pals. Even I, ever affable and analytical to the point of sociopathic detachment, anti-folk remnant that I am, can find myself gripped by an unreasoning fury over an advert for over 50s life insurance, wherein a smug old cunt can be seen compulsively washing already pristine and glistening tomatoes. The thinking behind the practice is, I suppose, similar to the uh, rationale that has led so many of them to uh, get up to all sorts of uh, other unbecoming shenanigans, be it fiddling their expenses or, uh, you know, waving their gruesome downstairs business at a hapless assistant, to wit, that if they do something iffy and it all comes on top, the furious and perennially antagonistic factions will be far too busy fighting each other to a pointless social media standstill to actually concentrate on doing anything constructive that might present them, the offender, with anything significant by way of consequences. I mean, it doesn't always work, of course, but it still looks to me as though many feel that the odds are in their favour, so it's worth giving it a go. I, I mention all this, perhaps unsurprisingly, due to the parliamentary shit show to which we were treated on Wednesday. It was, as you'll recall, one of the three days of the year where the Scottish National Party get to set the agenda, get to have a big say. And they were naturally pretty irked, come the big day, to find that the Speaker of the House had allowed the Labour Party to table an amendment to their call for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. Well, that's fair enough and understandable, is it not? I imagine that their feelings would have been similar to those of, of a youngster being promised that they could pick the game for a family game night and uh, the living room they would rush the kaplunk box under their arm and with hopes that this evening wouldn't end up in a huge row like all the others only to find that their pater has not only already set out the monopoly board but tells them in no uncertain terms that they can't be the dog because that's their younger sibling's favourite and they're old enough now not to be so selfish. 
Now, critics might, at this point, cavil at my comparison. Although I rather doubt it. I, I, I don't think we have many critics because we're pretty fucking great when all said and done. And indeed, likening a political party to a child and a parliamentary debate on a matter of international significance to a board game might, to some, seem a little demeaning. Trivialising, even. Uh, to that, I would simply curl my perfectly sculpted lips into a sneer conveying withering scorn and proffer a frosty, well, you would think that, wouldn't you? Well, at least I would do that in real life, but facial contortions and brusque rejoinders aren't really ideal for a podcast, so I'll have to explain that, in all honesty, I think I'm being perfectly fair and even-handed, however monstrous the enormities committed by the IDF and Hamas, however much death and despair result from them, and however politically significant any of our parliamentarians are, I'm afraid it all looks like game-playing to this lad and lurcher. And not particularly good game-playing either. Dress it up how you will. All we saw this week was grown men and women accidentally rolling the dice off the table, bending down to pick them up, and then claiming that they'd rolled a double six, but you just didn't see it. Of all the groups involved in this deplorable farrago, perhaps it is the SNP who emerged with most credit, though you know, though I'm normally a cove in favour of a nuanced sort of approach, and very much aware that in matters of moment, each T must be crossed and every I firmly dotted if ambiguity and pettifogging is to be avoided, I have to say that their motion was, uh, was firmly worded, no nonsense, and perhaps the most sincere. That doesn't entirely exculpate them from accusations of what generations of cheating bastards have been pleased to call gamesmanship, in my view, however. As you know, the SNP's stock north of the border isn't what it once was, and with the Tories being about as popular as sandpaper suppositories up in Scotland, uh, Labour looks back at least a few seats at the next election. So I think many can be forgiven for suspecting that the chance to embarrass Keir Starmer by exposing the divisions in his party by including uh, in their notion a distinct reference to the Israeli authorities uh, visiting collective punishment on Palestinian uh, civilians as well as calling for a ceasefire is one they'd be pretty silly to pass up. Accusations of anti-Semitism, however specious they may or may not be, are something about which Labour are a touch twitchy these days, so it's equally plausible that they would be terribly keen to spare their MPs from any potentially painful crisis of conscience uh, by accusing Israel of war crimes, even though pretty much everybody else has done so. I mean to say, with a right-wing media looking to paint them as terrorist-loving traitors, the ice upon which Labour skate is, uh, well, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty dashed thin at the best of times. Indeed, even if the Shadow Cabinet were to go to Rafa, walk into a hospital wearing suicide vests and detonate them in the maternity ward, chances are that the Express's front page would claim that their hearts weren't really in it and it had all been just a pre-election publicity stunt. So, did they, as both Stephen Flynn and Penny Mordaunt have claimed, put undue pressure upon the Speaker of the House to let their amendment, which was similar in sum and substance to that of the SNP, but uh, retains a discreet silence on the thorny topic of war crimes, slip into the mix? Both the SNP and Tories have been very vocal on the subject of Starmer or whichever menacing cat's paws he might use for this sort of dirty work, putting the frighteners upon Lindsay Hoyle, 
but haven't as yet produced anything concrete in terms of evidence or even specific claims of whatever threats or heavy-handed insinuations they may have, uh, have used to coerce him into playing ball. In the absence of proof, then, we are left to speculate. It all depends upon how grubby and underhand one feels that the Labour leader might be, I suppose, and once the seeds of suspicion have been sown, we find that it's weed as pernicious as it is fast-growing, especially to an electorate, or even to a podcaster, who is all too used to saying, well, I wouldn't put it past them. Who knows what those cunts get up to, eh? So then, we turn our attention to the Speaker himself. At the time of recording this, he has been confronted with 60 MPs telling him that they've got no confidence in his current role, and accusations from all over the House that he has damaged the reputation of the House of Commons. Well, at least we can put that one to bed almost in stanza, eh, what? Whatever faults he may have displayed in either his judgement or his integrity, they are as nothing to those exhibited by the... The, the horde of far from honourable members whose misconduct, peccadilloes and improprieties have disgraced and dismirched the green leather more than 650 simultaneous cases of explosive diarrhoea ever could, so God only knows what pitiful fantasies they might have been nursing on that score. Reputation. What next, cats and kittens? Leaving that absurd fiction to one side then, we must consider the explanations and apologies given uh, to Parliament by Hoyle himself, and they're a mixed bag, it would appear. His original argument for including Labour's uh, amendment, and one from the government, which uh, really isn't getting much airtime or attention, it should be noted, uh, was that given the importance of the issues, MPs should be given the broadest possible variety of views to debate. Now... As I said earlier, I'm a chap with a fondness for nuance, so I would, well, yes, I definitely would, applaud and uh, support this view as a, as a rule. On this occasion, however, I think it's, uh, I think it's, well, you know, the word disingenuous gets tossed around an awful lot these days, doesn't it? Consequently, one has to be careful. But on the other hand, I really must bring this sentence to an end, so here's a snatch of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. <laughs> My reluctance to accept this version of events is twofold. Firstly, if Hoyle wished Parliament to run the gamut of opinion, to leave no genocidal stone unturned, nor avenue of legitimate self-defence unexplored, why did he not include an amendment submitted by the Liberal Democrats? I realise that they're not a political powerhouse nowadays, but does size really matter? And that's a question I might add, I ask only with the greatest of reluctance. Add to that the remarks he made on Thursday. In an address to Parliament that had more than the faintest whiff of amateur dramatics about it, he stated that his reason for wishing to broaden the debate was to protect the safety of Parliament and that his fear of extremist reactions to an unnuanced bill had been his overriding concern. Now, perhaps both could be seen as being true up to a point, and perhaps they are up to a point. But if so, why didn't he include that latter reason in the explanation he gave on Wednesday evening? Given the amount of tremulous verbiage, soap opera pauses, and the gasps and gulps he let out in a manful effort to prevent himself from blubbing like a baby, we must surely conclude that that was the thought uppermost in his mind all along. Ergo, his reticence in broaching the matter seems a whit rum, to say the least. 
On a practical note, I'm rather doubtful that they, these amendments would have made much difference to the overall outcome. Certainly, I think it's very unlikely that the SNP's original motion, with its unabashed condemnation of Netanyahu and his pals, would have passed. So maybe, anything's possible, that was the real reason for the Speaker's efforts to water it down a bit, and that he's just too dashed tactful to say so. In the end, though, all we are left with is the image of a load of MPs storming from the chamber, each one exuding fearfully strong, I'm taking my ball and going home energy, and the distinct impression that whatever the personal views of our elected representatives might be to the situation in Gaza, they will, for the foreseeable future at least, be completely subsumed by the far more pressing and parochial concerns of party politics. The only consolation, I suppose, is that ultimately, however passionate this or that MP might be, any response to Middle East horrors will be meaningless in terms of tangible results. My gosh and giddy gumdrops, uh, those shitfuckers over there aren't even listening all that attentively to uh, their major allies. So what hope does poor old Britannia have of doing anything more than coming across as the sort of tearful lady one sees in a pub car park come closing time, clinging to some enraged primate bent on giving somebody or other a proper pasting and screaming, leave it Jason, he's not worth it. A scathing and disrespectful assessment of our nation's position on the world stage, perhaps, but I think a fair one, given its increased isolation, a failing economy, and the recent disclosure that our much vaunted and shockingly pricey nuclear deterrent is about as terrifying as awe-inspiring as one of those balsa wood gliders powered by a rubber band. And having said that, it's probably time Arkham and I were off. You know, my dear pal, we might be fairly ineffectual ourselves, but at least we know we're fairly ineffectual, and we didn't cost trillions of squid just so we could make a big splash in a distant ocean, did we? Until next time then, uh, podcast pals, here's a song to keep you grooving until next Friday. So from myself, the Silver Fox, and from Arkham, the Black and White Dog, cheerio. Got to say something to get on the news To be a hero to those fools that voted for you Say you're a fighter who'll never give in A champion who claims that each loss is a win You don't have to mean it cause everyone knows It's all as fake as those reality shows Say that your principles forced you to vote In direct contradiction to the bill that you wrote You've got to say something when opponents accuse you Of rank Islamophobia or hating the Jews Tell your supporters that you're balanced and fair And the press are just trying to stir up a scare Your only real interest is a peace that will last You don't need consistency, get the quotes out fast Say your priority is innocent souls And you don't even look at the opinion polls
got to say something when the party revolts Say you've been infiltrated, say the system's at fault You can change your position with each passing hour Call it flexible thinking, not a struggle for power Wear an air of conviction with each word you speak There'll be a new hot button issue next week you're gonna say just what suits you Let the truth stay a mystery We'd spin every sound bites on the right side of history